Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. But I forgot to mention last service, very important information, and I'm sure they're watching online right now. Um, our elder, we had uh, our, our front runner candidate for our worship pastor role leading us in worship last week, Dave. Uh, hopefully some of y'all got to meet Dave and his wife, Alex. Uh, our elder spent some time this week in just fasting and prayer, and by Wednesday morning had unanimously concluded that we wanted to extend the invitation for Dave to come be the worship pastor at Grace Bible Church. Um, to which he and his wife accepted the offer on Wednesday afternoon. So we're going to be getting a new family, a part of our church family here. Um, and uh, we're, uh, we're looking forward to that. So it'll be about a month uh, between the middle of March and the beginning of February is when they plan on coming down. They're listing their house. They're coming to be a part of our church family, the pastoral and elder team, as well as be our worship pastor. Uh, in, in a couple weeks to come, we're gonna, I want to celebrate Jason and his wife. Jason, who led you in worship this morning, is serving as an interim for us. Uh, he and, yeah, they're awesome, man. And uh, yeah, they, God has called them. So they run Camp Sparta um, here in South Seaburn. Like, and that's what God has called them to do. But like, as a, as a means of like serving their church family, uh, Jason and Sarah were willing to have him step in in an interim role, which has in, been incredible service to us. But let me tell you, like, Jason is the best kind of leader. Um, there is no, like our pastors and staff, um, have, and even some of the worship team members have spent a lot of time uh, with David and Alex over these months as we've just kind of been in the grueling pace of interviews. But, like, but our interim worship guys like invested a lot of energy into spending time with David. And he and his wife had Dave and Alex over for dinner. And they went and played golf together. And they just like, that's the best kind of leader right there to immerse himself. Like if you were a new guy... Uh, coming into a role at your job, and the interim person that was in your job was there, it would be awkward. And you would kind of just try to interact with them as much as you had to, but you'd kind of be avoiding each other, especially if it's in a leadership role. That's not how Jason rolls. He's like wrapped his arms around Dave and has been investing in him and encouraging him in the process of transition. And so like we are in a really healthy and rich place in the transition of our worship leadership at GBC. And I'm thankful for you, Jason, and you, Sarah. And I probably should have saved some of that speech for the day that I'm going to really celebrate y'all. And, um, but why not start now? I'm thankful for y'all, and I'm excited for the future of the worship ministry of GBC. So, yeah, so Dave and Alex, I'm sure you're watching online. Would you just join me, church family, in celebrating them? And if I'm not mistaken, Alex was offered a job as a nurse at Advent Health, so she'll be joining the Advent Health family to all our Adventers up in the house. Um, if you got your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 6. If you're new to Grace Bible, um, I typically, typically like to offer this disclaimer. Like we, we as a church family, we typically teach through whole books of the Bible at, at a time. Um, because we believe that like God had it in us, ordered it the way he wanted it for a certain reason. Now we'll do topical stuff every, every now and then. We'll talk about family or marriage or, or, or money or whatever. But like we're going through the whole book of Acts at a time. And we're not, we're not doing verse by verse on this particular book. It's a pretty long book. But we're going section by section. So every week I give you guys a little bit of homework to read on your own to kind of fill in some of the gaps. I hope that you're doing it. I know most of you probably aren't, um, but hopefully most of you will. Today you're going to have some reading to do on your own. But what we're looking at through the book of Acts is the common thread 
that goes through the book of Acts of what God plans to do when his Holy Spirit arrives in the life of his people and how he plans to use his people to change the world for the sake of the gospel. Like, the book of Acts is an ancient record that we even as a 21st century church can look back to and be reminded what God can do through just regular people that are willing to say yes. Willing to invite the Lord to like be the Lord of their life, not just some fire insurance policy because they want to make sure they make it to heaven. I'm talking about real surrender, like saying, you know what, not only is my life yours for the sake of salvation, God, you are my king, but I also want you to be the Lord of my life and the everyday stuff of life. I want to go through the journey of learning to yield all the stuff of life to the leadership of Jesus. That's real surrender. And when that happens in the life of somebody, amazing, thing can, amazing things can happen. If that happens in the lives of a couple thousand people here in the heartland, amazing things can really happen right here in the heartland. We truly would, as Cameron says, saturate the heartland with the gospel for the glory of God. And I want you to know, like the Lord has appointed for you. For those of you that confess Jesus as the Lord of your life, he has appointed for you the kingdom calling of being a disciple maker. That may be new news to you. You may not like it. You may be thinking, well, I thought that's what we hired you for, Dustin. Um, I, I don't want to make the mistake of creating an environment where we live under the illusion that all the work of ministry and disciple making was meant to be done from the stage by just a handful of folks. It's, that would be a totally ineffective strategy. God's a lot smarter than that. Instead, he told us in Ephesians chapter 4 that my job and the job of our elders is to equip the saints for the work of ministry and that we all would join together in the process of making disciples as we're coming and going right where God has placed us. It's far more effective to equip a couple thousand people than it is to just equip six. God's brilliant and his plans always work. And we're getting to see it work in Acts chapter 6. We're getting to see how truly God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. We're getting to see truly how God is willing to empower people in extraordinary ways that are just willing to say yes. No other special skills, no previous training. We're getting to see that in Stephen's life. He was one of the ones last week in our conversation who raised his hand, volunteered, and was appointed to be a deacon. So his job now within the kingdom of God is chopping up carrots and serving soup. That's his job. But it didn't stop there because in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Uh, keep in mind, by the way, Stephen's just a regular old dude. He wasn't one of the 12 apostles. He didn't have a diploma from three years of Jesus University like the other apostles did. He was a regular guy in his rookie season as a Christian and disciple maker. He didn't know all the answers. He hadn't watched all the YouTube videos or listened to all the podcasts yet. He was brand new, but he was willing to say yes. And so God was using him in extraordinary ways that he was even performing miracles and signs and wonders amongst the people. In other words, like while he was serving soup, God was using him to transform the lives of others through the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And oh, by the way, the Lord wants to do the same thing through you. I hope this isn't new news. The same calling on Stephen's life is the same calling on our life. But I know that that can be intimidating, a little bit overwhelming. Again, some of y'all probably just outright dismissed the idea. And maybe you're just sitting at home right now today because you thought, you know what, when, D when Dustin's done with the book of Acts, 
Then we'll come back to church because I'm tired of hearing him bang that same old drum of mission every week. Listen, it doesn't matter whether we're preaching Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Number, Acts, Revelation. We're going to be banging the drum of mission forever. That's what we're going to be about. Like we're not going to be the frozen chosen around here just sitting around soaking up Bible theology. Like we're going to be a people who like fill up the sponge with the word of God of our lives and we wring it out on everybody else around us. And we come back and we fill up and we wring it out some more. Like that's what we're called to do. We're not going to be lazy. We're not just going to come to be entertained on Sundays. We're going to be an everyday kind of ministry that's reaching the heartland right where God has placed you. That is the call on our church family and on the Capital C Church around the globe. We're going to be a part of that. And we're getting to see it happen right here in the book of Acts. So Stephen's doing such extraordinary things. The power of the Holy Spirit is doing something special through him because of his willingness to be a part of it, just like he wants to do through you, that it's turning heads of the religious hierarchy in the culture and in, the, in that region of the world at the time. So some of those who belong, verse 9, some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, they rose up and they started disputing with Stephen. Like, the, this is the religious hierarchy that's been trying to snuff out the movement of Jesus since Jesus was walking the face of the earth. These were the cats that crucified him. These were the ones that like ex spared no expense to try to find this, this body of Jesus now that the tomb was empty, only to run into him at the local coffee shop as he was hanging out with some of his disciples. Hundreds and hundreds of people saw this resurrected Savior. And now they're trying to do everything they can, though, to stop the apostles because they're losing their authority. They're losing their, uh, they're losing their power over the people. And so they're trying to snuff out what Stephen's doing. So they start an argument with him. But this is what happens, verse 10. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking in this great debate. Uh, remember, this is just Stephen. Like he's, he's a soup server. This is what he does. He's not a religious elite. He's not an educated guy. He's just a common dude who was willing to say yes to Jesus. And now the Spirit of God is displaying the wisdom of God through him. This is the first thing I want you to know as we're looking at this today. For those of us that are cautious and concerned and not sure about being disciple makers, the life of Stephen um, offers us a platform where we can learn a lot about how God is going to equip us for the calling that he's given us. Here's the first thing I want you to notice in Stephen's life is that the Spirit will give the willing... Wisdom. Yeah, I bet you need some of that, don't you? Yeah, the Spirit will give the willing wisdom. You may be kind of standing on the precipice of this saying, all right, I hear you, Dustin. I hear the call. I see it in the Word of God, but I don't know where to start or what to say or what to do or how this is supposed to work out in my life or where to step out in faithfulness in my life. Well, let me just tell you, like, the Spirit will give the willing wisdom. Here's where most of us make the mistake, though. This is where most of us dig our heels in the sand, all right? Most of our willingness is directly proportional to the wisdom that we have. So in other words, if we don't have the wisdom yet, then we ain't willing yet. In other words, like, we're willing to walk as far and take as many steps as we have a clear view of being able to see what's coming. But you see what happened in Stephen's life, and we see it all throughout the Word of God, that the Spirit is going to give the willing Wisdom, yeah. Sometimes we get the luxury of God kind of bestowing on us wisdom for what's coming. 
uh, knowing whether to turn right or left before we get to the crossroad, knowing how to handle the situation, knowing how to have the conversation, knowing where to go from here. But it is not unlike God, as he mentioned through Paul in 2 Corinthians, that it is not unlike God that he would call his people to walk by faith and not by sight. It is not unlike even Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. In other words, you first. It is not unlike God to call us to take a step of faithfulness knowing that he's going to catch us as soon as we step. But he calls us into trusting him. God, I see that you're telling me to do this. I see this is a calling on my life. So I'm going to step out even though I have just enough light for the step I'm on. I'm going to actually step out in faithfulness and trust that you're going to provide the wisdom for the next step when I get to the place that you're telling me to go. That's faith. Walk by faith and not by sight. It reminds me of a time in Joshua's life when he was leading the people of Israel. And they were about to cross another body of water, not quite as famous as when Moses led the people to cross the Red Sea. Well, Joshua didn't get the luxury that Moses had. All right, God told Moses, hold your staff out over the water. I'm going to part the sea, and you're going to walk across on dry land. That's pretty cool. Joshua didn't get that luxury in Joshua chapter 3. God has them pull up to the shores of the River Jordan that was rushing where they were, and God tells Joshua, you step into the water, and then I'll stop it. You first. You first. Ask and you will receive, seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be open unto you. Yes, sometimes God gives us the luxury of going before us and showing us the way. But oftentimes he gives us just enough light for the step that we're on and calls us to take a step out in faith because of where he's clearly told us to go. My mama used to tell me all the time, Psalm 119.105 is like one of the golden nuggets of truth. It's right in the middle of the Bible and appropriately placed because it's a truth about the Bible. And it says in Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And like I'm reminded in that, like mommy used to tell me like, hey, they weren't carrying around mag lights, Dustin, they had candles. And so literally they had just enough light for the step they were on and a dim view to be able to move forward. But it wasn't until they moved forward in faithfulness would they actually be able to see the next step. And God is calling some of y'all into that kind of faithfulness right now as he is calling you to be missionaries right where you're at, trying to figure out how to allow the work of the Holy Spirit to be displayed through you in your workplace and in your homes and in your neighborhoods and in your backyards, just like Stephen. The wisdom of heaven is yours in Christ Jesus. He has every intention of giving you the wisdom that you need to walk faithfully to him. But he may be calling you to step out and surrender first. As a matter of fact, let's, let's put that into play right now. How about, how about we, as we're beginning this conversation together, how about we begin as a church family of a bunch of individuals, though we're going to do this all together, how about we begin with just a prayer of confession to God that we are willing to be used by him? Only if you are, by the way. Okay, so don't play, all right? All right, don't, don't, just, don't just play along because you don't want to get left out. If you, if you are willing to be used by God for his glory, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads. And we're just going to lift up our hands as like a symbol of surrender. We're going to have kind of our palms out. It's the international symbol of surrender. We're just going to have our palms out before the Lord. All right, not palms up, palms out. 
international sign of surrender, and we're just going to confess to the Lord that we are willing. Even if we don't know what to do, we don't know how to start, we don't know where to go, we, like Stephen, we're just willing to do what you're calling us to do in our lives. We are willing to be used by you for your glory. And, Father, we lift up uh, our own selves as an offering of worship to you and confess, those of us that do, that we are willing to be used by you, truly willing. And we confess that it's not easy and we don't always know where to start, but we confess as the people of God that you have left us here so that our families and our homes and our jobs and the vehicles that we drive and the friends that we have, like these are all meant to be for your glory. And you are going to create opportunities in our lives to be disciple makers. So Though we may not have the words or the education, and we may be just riddled with fear over the idea, God, we are willing to do it, but you're going to have to do it through us. But you can use this body and this vessel however you want for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's a heck of a start. I hope God answers your prayer just like he did with that young military man that we talked about a little bit earlier. Hey, if you want to see God answer prayers in your life, pray this one. Here am I, Lord, send me. God, use my life to, for your glory. Like, he's going to answer that prayer. Ooh, it's going to be some good stories. I can't wait to hear that from y'all. Well, the Spirit will give the willing wisdom. But now, wisdom isn't all we need, because even when we know what to do, where to go, or how to have the conversation, things can still be a little tricky and terrifying and a whole lot more uncertainty. And so this is what happened with Stephen, verse 11. They were secretly instigating men who said, like the religious hierarchy of the day were like, convincing guys to lie about what Stephen was saying and doing. So they secretly instigated this, saying this, that we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him, and they brought him before the council. So now Stephen is on trial. We've seen this scene several times before, and this usually doesn't shake out very well. They set up false witnesses. In other words, they paid people to come into the courtroom and lie. They set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, the temple, and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth is going to come destroy this place and will change his customs that Moses delivered to us and gazing at him. So all the people are like looking at him, like what's he going to say? How's he going to defend himself in this moment? Everybody's looking at Stephen, gazing at him. All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. In other words, his countenance was pure and calm and unruffled and confident and unashamed. This is a tricky situation to be on trial at this particular point in history because we live in a country where you have the right to remain silent and anything that you say or do could be held against you in the court of law, but not in that time in history. Silence was an admission of guilt. Silence was a means of saying, like, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of it. You didn't have the right to remain silent. Now is the time to defend yourself. Now is the time to stand up on the podium and get as passionate and compelling and persuasive as you could to try to convince people like that you didn't deserve to be punished because you weren't guilty of what these people were saying, but yet Stephen had a calm resolve who was completely at rest. And this reminds me, not only will the Spirit give the willing wisdom, but the Spirit will also give the willing peace. This resolute 
place in his heart, even though what was happening around him was going to threaten his life, even though they were lying to his face about him in the court of law, the Spirit gave the willing peace. Colossians 3.15 says that that's available to you as well, my friends. Though you may have the wisdom on what to do next, you may be hearing the voice of God to move forward in faithfulness, and now you know, okay, this is what I got to do, and you're terrified at the thought of taking that step of faithfulness. I want you to know that the Spirit gives the willing peace, too. As a matter of fact, this is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5.22 says the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of those are available to you in Christ Jesus. The spirit of the living God dwelling within believers like the peaceful one is in you. The wise one is in you. The calm and resolute one is in you. He is not disturbed by the chaos that is happening around you. And his peace is yours as well. But it starts with us a place of confession. Learning how to yield all the stuff of life to Jesus. Lord, I'm willing and I am yours. And I don't know how this is all going to work out. But I know that you can send me and you can use me however you wish in this season, may the peace of Christ come and rule in your hearts, my friends. I know we need it. How many of you could use a little bit extra peace in your journey of walking with the Lord? Yeah, the Spirit gives the willing peace. And then the high priest looks at him and says, chapter 7, verse 1, are these things so? In other words, how do you plead? And interestingly enough, as I mentioned, like, this is Stephen's chance to grab the microphone and make a compelling case that these cats are lying about him. But instead, he's like, oh, heck, y'all going to give me the mic? I'm just going to start preaching the word of God to you. And by his ignoring of the question altogether was a confession of guilt that he wasn't even guilty of. But he didn't care. If you're going to hand me the mic, I'm going to go ahead and preach to these guys. Interesting. So this is your homework. You're going to read most of the rest of chapter 7, Stephen's sermon. I'm going to sum it up for you. Here in just a second, but it's interesting that here Stephen is. He's not a scholarly dude with a lot of experience and a lot of education. And here he is, preaches through the Old Testament to get them to land at Jesus ultimately. He preaches through the Old Testament to the highest ranking Old Testament scholars on planet Earth. And he starts back at the beginning and he rolls his way through the Old Testament. You're going to see. As you're reading it, so why would a guy like him preach the Old Testament to scholars like that? Like for you to just be a bottom-level rabbi back in those days, I'm talking about run-of-the-mill, entry-level rabbi, you had to have memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Like that was basic criteria to be a rabbi. Now, for you to make it all the way to the high priest or to be some of the religious hierarchy, these guys were the scholars, the brilliant minds other day, and here he goes, like preaching the Old Testament to these guys. You know what? Stephen knew something about this situation. He recognized that even though these guys knew all the books, they had never met the author, and he wasn't going to miss an opportunity to point them to him. So he starts preaching through the Old Testament, something that they knew very well in order to introduce them to Jesus that they didn't know at all. And just kind of summarize, like, what his message was to them. Like, he, he preaches through the Old Testament to point them to Jesus, the Savior. And this is kind of how he puts it. He just shows how Jesus was the true and better version of all of the patriarchs of the Old Testament. And he hits some of the highlights. Uh, and he says that Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who is the fulfillment of the promise that there would be a miraculous birth 
and that he would be purified by his own hand and he would be the father of all of God's people. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, that he would be abandoned by his own brothers to be thrown into a hole and left for dead only to rise to power and prominence to provide sustenance and even salvation to all that would seek him and even offer forgiveness to his undeserving brothers who tried to have him killed. Jesus is the true and better Moses, that he would be called by God to go back to a place that he was rejected and he would only be received with contempt, only to lead his people out of captivity and liaison between a stiff-necked people and God as they journey through the desert of life, waiting on the arrival of the promised land. Jesus is the true and better tabernacle, that he would be the fulfillment of all of the scriptures, that in him was God himself. Jesus is the true and better David, the shepherd boy, that he would not only care tenderly for his people as a shepherd, but he would also sit upon an everlasting throne as king. Jesus is the true and better. This was what he, the opportunity he took when he grabbed the microphone, and then he ends his sermon. The last point of his sermon is this. Hold on to your hats. Uh, how would this make you feel if you were the religious elite of the day as S Stephen is landing the plane of his message, and he says, verse 51, you stiff-necked people. Okay, now. You obviously don't care about getting off the hook. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, just like your fathers did. So do you. Now, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the capital R, capital O, righteous one. Who's that? Announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. He said, this isn't anything new. Your forefathers hated every patriarch of God while they were in the seat of power. And y'all tried to run all of them off and kill all of them off. And you've done no different with God himself when he showed up. The righteous one, the promised one that the prophets had foretold about for centuries and centuries. Like, this was it. This was him. But you've also betrayed and murdered him. And you who received the law as delivered by angels but did not keep it. In other words, y'all think you know the word of God. But obviously the word of God could be staring you dead in the face and you would miss it. Quite honestly, if I'm frank with you. I would say that that's probably still a problem within the religious elite of today as well. I'm going to take a sip while y'all resonate on that for a sec. Let me give you this equipping tool that we're seeing through Stephen. The Spirit will give the willing boldness. Extraordinary courage. Knowing his life's on the line and by the fact of him not even addressing the question of the high priest, was an admission of guilt altogether, but he figured, are you going to give me the mic? I'm just going to preach it, y'all. I hope that somebody has a light bulb going on in their head, and they hear the gospel, and their life has changed. That's what Stephen wanted out of this. And in his, like, dying speech, he got to preach his own funeral. And he did so in a very frank, very bold, very courageous way. And God will, the Spirit of God will give the willing boldness and courage. I mean, I bet a lot of us could use a lot of courage when it comes to allowing the Lord to use our lives for the sake of his glory, just like he did Stephen. Allowing us, through us, that the Spirit would speak to our friends and our family and our neighbors and our co-workers the gospel and make disciples. And it's like intimidating and terrifying, but the Spirit will give the willing boldness as well. 
you need to know, like, it is nothing for me to stand up here on this stage with a microphone wrapped around my head and, like, boldly declare the truths of God. No skin off my back whatsoever, not difficult at all. You know what's hard is having the same conversation one-on-one with somebody. I struggle with it just like y'all do. It's a piece of cake to get up here and, like, spray this stuff out over hundreds of people because, like, first of all, I control the narrative. You can't just stop me and ask questions. I got the mic. You don't. You can't pin me into a corner with something I don't know yet because I'm the one that prepared the speech, and there's so many of you that, like, I don't have to worry about that. Like, it's, it's a monologue for 35 minutes. But when I sit across the table with somebody that I care about and just beg God to speak through me to them, it's like, man, all the stuff that rolls so easily off my tongue up here, like, it just won't come to me when I'm there. And it's scary and it's intimidating and I pray and I beg God to like use me in the lives of the people that I love and the lives of the people that he's placed around me that he would give me the courage and the wisdom and the peace as I seek to be a missionary right where God has placed me. But I'm telling you, it's complicated and it's very difficult, especially being that just naturally I'm very, I'm introverted. And that may sound silly to y'all, but like when I'm not on this stage, try having a conversation with me. That's the most awkward thing you're going to ever do in your life. I'm just an introverted dude, you know, and it's like, man, it makes it even harder for us introverts to, like, be disciple makers where God has placed us because we're not the ones who just naturally, like, carry conversations along. So trusting the Spirit of God in that stuff, man, is a real journey that I'm going through as your pastor and leader. And don't think I'm calling you to something that I've already mastered. I'm calling you to something that is terrifying and exhausting and wearisome to me. But I know that it's the call of God on my life. And so I'm not going to take me being on the stage as an excuse to say I've done my job. Because I can't, we can't, I can't live out the call of God on my life as a disciple maker by just doing it from the stage. I have to do it in the everyday lives of the people that he's placed around me too just like he's calling you to. And I want you to know, I feel like my hands are tied behind my back when those opportunities present itself too. And I'm asking God to say something through me and I'm fumbling through my words and I feel the nerves just like all the rest of you. But I want you to know that the Spirit will give the willing boldness. You know, Jesus even told his disciples in Luke chapter 12, which we kind of see come to life right here. Jesus told the disciples like that whenever you're Whenever you're presented before, I'm sorry, it's not Luke chapter 12. I gave you the wrong scripture reference. What is it? Maybe it is Luke chapter 12. Yeah. No, it ain't. What is it? (laughs) That's why I have notes, but I don't even know where I write this stuff on my notes. Give me a second. I'm going to find it. Let's see. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Well, I'll be dang. Yeah, larger print. I ain't getting old yet. See, this is just fine. Thank you very much. Keep your comments to yourself. I got the microphone here. Jeez. Well, Jesus, I can't, I can't even find in my notes. Who knows? Maybe it's not in there. Jesus had told his disciples, he says, don't worry about what you're going to say when they bring you before kings and authorities. He said, it's in that moment that my Holy Spirit will prompt you with what to say. We'll speak through you. And in other words, like, man, when the, when the moment comes, like when God divinely orchestrates these moments in our life to be bold like Stephen, like he's also going to provide, he's also going to provide the resources from the source, Jesus, that we're going to need to walk faithfully in that moment. Like really our job in this is just like to live with our hands surrendered like this and say, I'm willing, I'm willing to be used however. 
And he's going he's gonna to do this stuff through us because I can assure you, like, the Holy Spirit of God is way more committed to making disciples in your lives than you would ever be. He's way more committed to sharing the gospel with that family member or with that friend or He's way more committed to you getting in, like, gospel relationships in your life than you could ever be. Like, he is committed to it. And let me tell you, like, when he is committed to doing something, he cannot be denied. Our job is to step into the batter's box just saying, I'm willing. I'm willing. And this is what happens as we continue to read the story of Stephen to the willing. Not only are they given wisdom and peace and boldness. But we go on to read that now they are enraged, of course, after a concluding remarks like that. They are enraged. They heard him say these things. They gnashed their teeth. They ground their teeth at him. And he, full of the Holy Spirit, say full of the Holy Spirit. He, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man is standing. Say standing. He said that twice. He's standing at the right hand of God, but they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him and then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him and the witnesses laid, those that were watching, they laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. In other words, like giving him authority to make the final call on this execution. All right, we'll learn more about Saul as we continue to read through the book. And as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen calls out and he says these words, see if you've ever heard these before, Lord Jesus Receive my spirit and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or literally died from the stone. Have you ever heard those words before at an execution? Father, enter your hands, I commit my spirit. Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. You ever heard that before? It was Jesus on the cross. This is Stephen mimicking the words of Jesus even with his final breath, wise in the middle of an execution. I want you to know the fourth thing is the Lord's going to equip you to be the missionary that he's called you to be. He's also going to equip you. The Holy Spirit will give the willing hope. Yeah. Hope even to the last breath and the last moment. So much hope, in fact, that it says that as Stephen looked up towards the heavens, that he actually beheld the glory of God. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I got a question for you. Like, did Stephen catch a glimpse of the glory of God and it caused him to turn his eyes toward Jesus? Or did he turn his eyes toward Jesus and in doing so beheld the glory of God? It's an important distinction in our lives because I would bet you most of us kind of get stuck right here because we're so fixated on the stones that are hurling at our head that we miss the glory of God right up in the mess. The clear display of the glory of God. Right up in the chaos, we're missing it because all we can see is we're fixated on the stones. I think we need to learn something from Stephen here where he was drawing his hope in this moment. He turned his eyes towards heaven, and then he beheld the glory of God. That's an important piece for us. As the old hymn says, man, some of the truest words ever spoken for the kingdom people to continue to tether ourselves to is, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow. Strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There's something about when we fix our eyes on Jesus, how it just dims the stones that are being fired our way. Life's full of that stuff, and it's not going to stop. But something about the people of God having access 
to the throne room of heaven, as we fix our eyes on him, as we fix our eyes on things above, not on the earth below, that we get to behold the glory of God and we find hope and rest in him. Even as we are experiencing the hardship of this stuff called life that's around us, the hardship of our faithfulness. I mean, some of y'all are probably walking in faithfulness in a certain area of your life and you are under a great deal of stoning in your life because it feels like you're the only one in your little circle that's being faithful to God and believes in the words and ways of Jesus and it feels like the weight of the world is crashing down upon you. Like, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Continue to turn your eyes back to him over and over and over again. That's where you draw your help. That's where you draw your hope. That's where you draw your comfort. And even in Stephen's final moments here, here he is, not just a man full of peace and wisdom and boldness, but he has hope in this last moment, so much so that he's even willing to offer forgiveness to his enemies with his dying breath. Like, what a beautiful picture of what God can do in the life of a believer. And it's interesting what Stephen sees, though, when he looks up into heaven. I had you say the word because here Stephen looks up into heaven, he beholds Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This is an, not a typical posture when we see Jesus in the New Testament since his resurrection. Oftentimes when Jesus is described and we see him in heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. We see it in Romans chapter 8, seated at the right hand of the Father, praying on our behalf. Like this is typically the posture of Jesus in heaven because seated next to the Father is kind of the imagery in the picture that his work is done. He's at perfect rest. He told us on the cross, it is finished. Now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. But in Stephen's dying moments, he looks up into heaven. He sees Jesus standing next to God. wonder what in the world that means. Well, scholars scatter on ultimately what it means. But I can tell you, the collective group of scholars that I trust the most, they would agree that Jesus' seated position is a declaration that he is at perfect peace because his work has been finished. He is at rest. But when he stands before God, when Jesus stands before God, he stands as an advocate. He is advocating in this moment. In other words, while Stephen is receiving condemnation from the earthly court, at the same time he's receiving commendation from a heavenly court. The earth had convicted him as a criminal unto death, but heaven was celebrating his faithfulness. Oh, and I bet you when Stephen breathed his last breath, I bet you all of heaven erupted in celebration because as those proverbial pearly gates swung open and here comes Stephen, man, all of heaven rejoiced. The first Christian martyr who was willing to walk in faithfulness even to the point of his last breath because he was that committed to the mission. He was willing to allow the peace and the rest and the boldness and the wisdom of Jesus to be his and the hard stuff of being who Jesus has called us to be. But let me just give this to you. Uh, as we're kind of wrapping up our conversation, totally free of charge. I gave you a lot of tools that the Spirit is going to give the willing. Well, let me also tell you that the willing will be persecuted. Lucky for you and me, like we're not in threat of our lives by declaring Jesus, by living out a life of faithfulness to Jesus, but that time might come in your lifetime. But I can tell you, our brothers and sisters around the world, many of them are. While we're having lunch today, people are going to die for the cause of the gospel. That's not some old, ancient, archaic, barbaric Roman thing. That is a right now, all over the face of the planet thing. And the Spirit of God is giving those people the wisdom and the peace and the boldness and the courage and the hope that they need to be faithful to him until the bitter end. And I can tell you, all of heaven celebrates when those saints, as Jesus advocates for the Father and says, Father, this one's mine. Now I want to remind you, like, 
This is a real thing happening in the world around us, but God is calling us to walk faithfully with him, even though persecution might be coming our way. And by the way, persecution doesn't just come in the form of death. Some of y'all are all on board with being missionaries in the workplace and in your neighborhoods and in your backyards, and you're cool with, oh, man, I want to get the wisdom of God and the peace of God and the boldness of God and the hope that comes in knowing Jesus. But, like, man, when you talk about stone throwing, I'm kind of out now, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know that I can afford any stone throwing in my business and my personal life and my relationships. You know, I, I don't know that I can just, like, start talking about the things of the Lord while I'm at work and stuff. I might lose my job. And, like, just so you know, like, I'm not telling you, like, that your job is to stand up on the desk at work and start preaching to everybody. That ain't going to work. Nobody's going to like you. Here's what I am telling you, though. I bet you Stephen had the influence that he had in that community because he was the best soup server in town. I bet you the reason why people had an ear for Stephen is because he didn't just serve soup because he had to, but he took pride in it and he did his best at it. He made sure that he was the most effective soup server around. And it was because of the vehicle of how good he was at soup serving that people started to lend him an ear and say, man, something's a little bit different about how you conduct your business. I'd like to talk to you more about that because I want to run my company the same way. And so it got Stephen opportunities to start sharing the gospel with people and the everyday stuff of life. I believe with all of my heart that Christians should be the most effective, the most excellent, the most prepared Business people, leaders, employees, teachers on planet Earth. Because if the world can reach a standard of excellence without the Holy Spirit and you have God in you, he's the best carpenter, he's the best politician, he's the best lawn guy, he's the best school teacher, he's the best ag expert, like he's the best. And he's in you. And not for a second do I believe that our calling is to be in the marketplace and be slouches or slack or allow our proselytizing to take away from the excellence that we create in the workplace. What I'm saying is the excellence that you create in the workplace, you being the best soup server is going to give you opportunities that you may never, never have had before. And he called us to make disciples while we are going, while we're doing the thing that we were already doing. He'll create opportunities for you, just like the military guy we talked about earlier in our conversation today. I want to remind you, though, that the Spirit of God is committed to doing the thing through us. The question is, are we going to be willing to just be willing? Even if you don't know where to start, would you just regularly lift your hands before God and say, use me as you would, Lord. My life is yours. And I can't wait to see what he's going to do through us. I know he's going to change the heartland. Through a committed few, they're going to let the Spirit of God display his glory through his people. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your kindness to us. I thank you for the work that you have already accomplished in your people. I thank you for what you continue to do. Even the young guy who's willing to be a missionary on a military base. Lord, would you use his life and our lives for your glory? Would you saturate the heartland with the good news of Jesus? Because there's people everywhere that are willing to be excellent at their soup serving. And to be committed to being open and available for the Lord to use them for intentional gospel discipleship and conversations in the relationships and in the people that come across their path. Have your way in us, Lord. You are the one worthy of our lives being totally committed to your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.